Just imagine we had a virus that was selectively killing children because of their immune naivety. That is medically possible. If that happened, then all of these measures could be completely justified. There could be a situation where we need vaccines in an emergency, where we need lockdowns, where we need all these emergency measures, because we could be dealing with a virus that's an existential threat to the existence of humanity. Hello, everyone. That was the voice of Dr. John Campbell and the opening quote from the conclusion of Measuring the Mandates, which I'm about to read. The full report containing all the endnotes is freely available for download from my website and also on Amazon and Substack. Links are in the info box. Okay, I shall begin. In 1958, Mao Zedong initiated a campaign to eliminate all the sparrows from China. The reasoning ran that sparrows consumed grain, several pounds of it per bird per year, and this grain would be better used feeding the Chinese people. Millions of people collaborated to destroy nests, break eggs, and shoot the birds from the sky. They would even bang pots and pans to prevent the sparrows from resting, causing them to drop dead from exhaustion. This may sound cruel, but as China had regularly suffered with famines throughout its history, grain provision was literally a matter of life or death for millions of people. The plan was an overwhelming success, pushing the sparrow population to near extinction. This endeavour could be taken as a shining example of the necessity of state central planning. It would have been utterly futile for individual farmers to attempt to organise such a programme themselves. Success depended on a top-down, coordinated, authoritarian approach. At least, that's how we might remember it, had it not gone so horribly wrong. In addition to grain, sparrows eat locusts, and in their absence the insect population exploded. Locusts ravaged across China and contributed to perhaps the greatest famine in human history. Mao's Great Leap Forward has become synonymous with hubris. It is the most cataclysmic example of communist central planning. Such actions are not confined to communist states, however. The United States' use of DDT to eliminate mosquitoes also had horrendous unintended consequences. In the COVID-19 era, we have heard much regarding the necessity of government action often with criticism levied at governments who failed to take the bold and necessary steps to get the virus under control and save lives. This document has made the case that this is not true, that the actions of governments around the world were counterproductive, costing many lives, whilst not demonstrably saving any. The conflict that has arisen in society over approaches to COVID-19 could ultimately be thought of as a collision between two diametrically opposed worldviews. These worldviews have always existed in society, in perpetual conflict with each other, with COVID simply bringing it to a head. The first view contends that certain challenges exceed society's capacity to handle in a consensual, decentralised manner. A top-down, centralised, authoritarian approach is required, one where people are told what to do and what is best for them by state-appointed experts. Opinion contradicting these experts, irrespective of its source, is to be disregarded. Dissent is not to be tolerated. Refusal to go along with the chosen plans results in sanctions up to and including jail time. This is the view that allowed New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern to claim that her government would continue to be your single source of truth, or Dr Anthony Fauci to declare an attack on him was an attack on science itself. It is the view that allowed a nasty aura to infect our societies, 
of recrimination for anyone not going along with the latest science and for a moral self-righteousness to take hold. We saw a rise of support for the kind of superstitious thinking that many of us felt had been discarded in the Middle Ages. The second view stands in complete contrast to this. It sees society as a complex, self-organising system governed by economic laws as solid as the ones of physics. This approach emphasises pluralism, respect for individual rights, and an awareness of the limits of knowledge and the need to experiment with many different approaches to complex problems. It recognises that the world does not stand still in order for us to measure it, but rather adapts in unpredictable ways to each intervention we make. The 20th century saw a competition between these two worldviews play out. The Soviet Union and China embodied authoritarian central planning, whilst what we loosely call the West embraced a more decentralised, market-based approach. For all the imperfections in the way it was embodied, the latter of these two ideologies overwhelmingly won out. Perhaps it did so, however, only to then be discarded in favour of the former. The reasons for the failure of central planning are not a mystery. An authoritarian top-down approach, which eschews pluralism in favour of one-size-fits-all thinking, can simply not hold up in the complexity of the world we encounter. A world where answers to complex problems are not obvious, where even the most intelligent people get stuck inside their own perspectives, unable to see another point of view. States are not inherently virtuous, incorruptible institutions that rise above the petty concerns of mere private citizens. They are just as subject to ideological capture as any other institution. They do not have a golden path to truth, which makes them inherently more reliable. What they do have is a limitless supply of funds and the ability to impose their will. This should not be conflated with wisdom. The unprecedented cataclysm of the Four Pests campaign did not cause the Chinese Communist Party to doubt the wisdom of authoritarian central planning. Instead, they concluded that they'd simply got the wrong pest, and swapped sparrows for bedbugs. As the question posed by Dr John Campbell at the beginning of this chapter illustrates, there is a common sentiment that the underpinning philosophy of our approach to COVID-19 was correct, and only the application was wrong. In a future more deadly pandemic, such an approach may well be necessary. Beyond all criticism of the science and data, it is this philosophy we request justifies itself. Let us take Dr. Campbell's challenge. What if a virus came along that did kill 1 in 10 people, or children, or 1 in 10 children? Would authoritarian state central planning then be the best approach? To say the least, it is simply not clear that this is the case. Mitigation efforts would themselves be dangerous, making an accurate estimation of viral dangers difficult. Vested interests would still seek to profit by capturing state regulatory institutions and twisting the scientific underpinning of approaches. If no treatment presented itself, the situation could go on for a long time. The economic impacts would then also cost lives. It would therefore be better to allow society to self-organise around protecting the vulnerable. In a coercive system, there is also no way to compare different approaches and judge which one gives the best results. Finally, it must be recognised that it is impossible to create a perfect world when no one dies. Pursuing such a utopia will invariably just lead to more death. China's cruel fate was not set in stone. In 1956, Mao Zedong pursued a policy of letting a hundred flowers bloom 
and a hundred schools of thought contend. The following year, it was revealed as a trap. With the dissidents now identified, Mao launched a harsh crackdown. If a thousand flowers had bloomed in China, if decentralization had been embraced, the country need not have experienced the horrors of famine, cultural revolution, and persistent poverty for decades to come. What would have been the result of a thousand flowers blooming during COVID-19 if states had not mandated behaviour? It is clear we would have avoided the iatrogenic deaths, the pseudoscience of masking, the inhuman consequences and economic destructions of lockdowns, and the harms of vaccines. We would also have avoided the divisiveness that crept into our societies, turning us against each other. As this document has attempted to demonstrate, it is not clear we would have suffered any ill consequences at all. To revisit the Adam Curtis quote that opened this essay then, it seems clear that not only can politicians not deliver dreams, neither can they protect us from nightmares. Their efforts to do so only make matters worse, taking what is essentially a fantasy and turning it into a real-life horror. This essay is dedicated to those who seek to awaken from both dreams and nightmares and meet the world as it is. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this series interesting. Once again, the full report is freely available for download from my website and also on Amazon and Substack, and links are in the info box. If you have found this informative and would like to support the production of further work, there is both a donation and subscription link there too. Thanks again.